welcome to the David and Ronald Show podcast. Happy New Year, Ronald. Happy New Year, David. How are things? Not too bad. New Year, new gear. I finally got the Zoom PodTrack P8. Excellent. It took forever because it was supposed to come out in mid-November, and it didn't come out until early December. And so I told you the story. Yep. What ended up happening was we have B&H Photo here in the city, one of the biggest like camera and electronics stores now. And so what I ended up doing was I ordered it ahead of time for pickup. And then ultimately I ordered two sets of things. I ordered the Podtrack P8 with the Zoom mic kit because that package, you know, you get a savings of I think like 50 to $60 when you do the kit versus buying them separately. So I ordered that. And then I also ordered the Rode Procaster mic. And you may say, well, why'd you do that? What's in the kit? Well, in the podcast kit, you get the Zoom mic, this little tripod that I have, the little mic muff, the cables, everything you need to hook up for one person to use the Zoom Podtrack PA. But I wasn't sure how well the Zoom mic would be. So I know that the Rode mic, we use the pod mics usually with the Rodecaster Pro. Right. So I know that those mics are good. And I know that the Procaster mic, which is also a Rode mic, is even better. So I ended up ordering that the next morning for pickup as well. And I picked up everything at once. Now, the issue I had was, how do they package everything when you get to B&H to pick this stuff up? Because the day I went, it was also raining. So that was like a whole other thing. So I bring this in the city now, they don't give you plastic bags anymore. You can still pay like five cents to get a paper bag if you need to. So I go up there and I bring like this big bag with me. I think it was like an MLB, one of those reusable bags. Right. And I get there to be an H and they have all the, the COVID safety protocols in place, one way in, one way out, and you wait online, social distancing, all that stuff. So I get there and it's a good process because they package your orders in those mailers, those mailer bags right. that are fully sealed like when they normally ship it to you. And they have your orders, each of your individual pickup orders in package like that. And when they took the first order out that I had, which had the P8 and the mic kit, the bag was huge. There was no way it would fit in this big MLB reusable tote that I had. That itself would not fit. The Procaster package was smaller, so that would fit. But I was like thinking, okay, how am I going to carry these? Because these are just mailer bags now. And fortunately, B&H has these giant reusable bags. They're great in that they're big bags, right. but they take up a lot of room. Like, you know, I had to put it on my shoulder, and carrying this stuff on your shoulder is not great. But I had to get on the subway with it. So it's like I have this huge bag on my shoulder that I'm carrying that swings back and forth. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm glad that they had that bag because otherwise there's no other way to carry how, this how stuff. How heavy was it anyway? It was heavy. Pretty heavy. <laughs> I could not keep it on my shoulder for long. I literally, from the time I left B&H, I put it on my shoulder because that was really the only way to walk with it. And fortunately, it wasn't raining at that time. Maybe right. a little light drizzle. Walked back to the subway station. Got in there. I managed to keep it on my shoulder going through the turnstile. Because that's hard. Because you have to, you know, oh, you have yeah, to get your body through the turnstile so, first. It's narrow. Right. And then get that bag through. Right. And I was able to do that. But once once I passed the turnstile, I had to take it off my shoulder. Because it was not going to stay on my shoulder for long. And the thing is, the weight is not evenly distributed. So on the front side of the bag, I have the P8 with the mic kit. So it's tipping forward. Right. On the back, I have the Procaster mic. And they give you, like, one of those filters the pop filter is free sure. when you, when you okay. get it. And it's funny because I think the pop filter was something like $40 or something like that too. But it's like a little tiny pop filter. Good deal. And so on that side, it's like it's dipping down because it's so much lighter. And I'm just making sure that like it doesn't fall out of the bag. No one can go in there and grab the package. 
So I'm like keeping an eye on it. But it's just this huge bag that I'm swinging all over the place. It's worse than having a backpack. And fortunately, I was able to get it home. You know, I'm glad that they had the bag, but it was a big package to bring back. It was just, it just made more sense to go pick up the stuff because then I was able to use it immediately and test it out. I tested out the Pontrack P8 with the Procaster mic, but I haven't tested the Zoom mic kit until today when we're doing this recording. Right. So this is the first field test of all the equipment. And I'm hoping everything works because all the lights are working. I'm glad to finally just have one set of headphones on my ears instead of having headphones and ear pods. Because in the past, using the Blue Yeti, I had to have headphones on to hear what was going through the mic. And then I had to have ear pods on in order to hear the FaceTime call. So that was a little bit challenging. And it's also nice because I... I can tell just by listening to the audio, the quality of the audio sounds so much better. I don't know if you can hear that on your end, but I know on my end, I hear the quality of the audio is so much better. Yeah, I, I do hear that there is a quality difference between you know the old method and the, the new method now. Yeah, and I think there was something going on with my Blue Yeti too, because I was constantly getting static. I've heard other people say when their Blue Yetis were starting to fail, that that's what you would hear. You start hearing that staticky sound in there. And no matter how you adjust everything, it doesn't work well. So this is a much cleaner configuration because now I can just have my laptop connected via USB cable to the Pottrack P8. I have the XLR cable going to the mic. I have my quarter-inch connector for my headphones connected in, and I'm all set. Now, the downside with the P8, a couple of downsides. First is, outside of the AC adapter, they don't include any of the cables. And with the Rodecaster Pro, they gave you at least the USB-C to USB-A cable right. to connect it to your laptop. The other thing is that there's no built-in Bluetooth. There is a, like a $50 adapter that you can buy and then attach it to the Pottrack P8 to get Bluetooth. So that is kind of a downside. I would have thought that they would just kind of integrate the Bluetooth like they have on the Rodecaster Pro, where you just have everything there and you don't have to get anything extra. So I had to go run out and buy these cables because... In order to connect my laptop to the P8, I need, since I have a MacBook Air, an older MacBook Air, I have USB-A on it, so I have to get a USB-C to USB-A. I did have a USB-C to USB-C, so I was able to use like the iPad Air when I was testing to connect it, and it worked fine. And one of these days, what I might do is when we do a podcast, I might just connect my iPad Air to the PodTrack P8. But it gives me a lot more flexibility now and a much cleaner setup than what I had before with better audio. So I'm glad to finally be able to step it up in, in the new year with a better recording, at least on my end. Definitely. It's a long time coming. I know you've been waiting pretty long to get that. Now, visually, what do you think of it? If you compare it to the Rodecaster and this, I know we saw pictures of it. And, you know, pictures don't always properly represent how the device actually looks like. But now that you have it in front of you, what are your thoughts compared to the Rodecaster? You know, I still like the, this overall design. I don't think it's as elegant as the Rodecaster Pro, uh, Rodecaster Pro. The Rodecaster Pro has a much more modern, elegant design to it. And when you look at how the Rodecaster Pro is laid out, it's much more simplified. When you look at this, if you're not familiar with how a mixer works or how any of these boards work, when you see all these knobs and all these buttons, you start to worry, well, what am I supposed to do? For me, at least, because I've dealt with the Rodecaster Pro, 
coming over to this and since I've watched YouTube videos and I read the articles, I was able to quickly navigate through all the features and all the functionality. So I know where everything is. But for someone using this for the first time, it's like, okay, what do I do? Where, where's everything? What are all these knobs? What are all these buttons for? Right. Overall, I think that there are certain advantages with this form factor because one, it is smaller than the Rodecaster Pro. So it doesn't take up as much real estate in terms of the area that you work with. Two, you can power this three different ways. You can power this with the AC adapter. You can power this with regular AA batteries. Or you can power this with a battery pack. So that's really great to have that versatility. How many AA batteries does it use? It's four AA batteries. So okay, that's, that's pretty good. And it gives you a good amount of time. One day I may try that on this. But just imagine the fact that if you had to travel with this and you don't have access to power or you need to be somewhere where you don't have access to an electrical outlet, this is very versatile. And what's the battery pack like that you mentioned? Do you have to buy that separately? No, or? you can use your regular battery packs that you use to charge your phones. I mean, yeah. it has to have a certain, I don't know what the milliamp hour requirement sure. is, but for the most part, you can literally use a battery pack. So if you have like one for, like I have one for my 12-inch MacBook okay. that I can run my MacBook off. If I connect that to this, that should work. And does that connect so to USB-C or? Yeah, I think okay. you just connect it to the USB-C connector and it should power it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And this also has more XLR connections and headphone connections. So you can have up to six people nice. participate in a podcast or in a recording on this unit. The Rodecaster Pro is limited to four. I mean, we never exceed two right. for yep. us. Yep. So it's not a big deal. And it's actually even more on the Rodecaster Pro. You can still also have someone call in. So it's really five people that you could have on there. But I think... It's comparable in terms of functionality with the Rodecaster Pro. What I am looking at is audio quality and how the recording sounds. Like I mentioned before we started, there are certain things that I am noticing in terms of like the compressor and the de-essers and kind of that functionality to help keep the audio sounding good that I think the Rodecaster Pro might do a little better at. Because I can hear certain things like when you talk, normally when your tongue is moving, you hear that sound. And on the Rodecaster Pro, you don't hear it. On this, I can hear it. And I think when I did a test recording, it did pick it up. And I used to have that problem with the Blue Yeti as well, where it'd pick it up and I'd have to use software to clean it up. So I'm going to have to see when I edit this episode how that sounds, how the quality sounds. I also want to see how it handles background noise, because with the Blue Yeti, it would pick up, you know, if a fire truck goes by, it'd pick it up. And all the windows are shut right now. And the church There's bell. There's not a lot of... Right, and there's not a lot of background noise right now, but right. I want to see how, how much sound it picks up. Part of it is the mic, but part of it's also the equipment. So hopefully and, this comes out well. And I can't remember, but what's the display like? Is that also touchscreen or...? Yes. Okay. The display is also touchscreen, touch and you have controls over every single microphone, pretty much every one of the inputs you have control over. And it's fairly intuitive when, it, when you look at it because... You have the same sort of gauges where you can see the levels when you're talking, and you can make adjustments if, if the audio is too loud. You have the same sound pad, so you can incorporate sounds if you want, although we just found out that we can't hear each other's sounds on the devices because it doesn't actually go through the Bluetooth or USB-C connection. Right. And you can also, both of these devices also, if you do live streaming, 
you can use this as your audio board to send audio back out the other way. Because I actually tested this with OBS where I try to do the reverse. Right now, over FaceTime, we're pretty much taking your audio and sending it into the pod track. I can also take my audio and send it out through the pod track if I was live streaming. And it just requires some quick configurations in OBS and in Mac OS to get the audio out. But it works really well. So you could use this if you're doing like a live stream on YouTube or on Twitch to send that audio out and get that high quality audio. Great. And I think one other thing that you mentioned that was different was the memory card. Yes. This uses a SD card versus the Rodecaster Pro, which uses the micro SD. And I know that it, it's kind of a pain to have to use a micro SD card because I don't know of too many devices that use micro SD right now. Most of your standard cameras use SD cards. I mean, I didn't even have to buy an extra SD card for this. I was able to just take one of the SD cards that I have with my cameras and, you know, an SDXE 128 gig card, pop it in and we're good to go. With the Rodecaster Pro, we had to buy the micro SDs because we didn't have any micro SD cards lying around. It's just something that you don't use often. I mean, I think the only other type of car I've ever had was when I had my Olympus cameras. Olympus had their own standard for their own uh, memory cards. So I had some of those cards lying around. But it's good to just use a standard SDXC card, just pop it in. And it's very easy to pop in. There's a nice, simple compartment. Pop it out, put the card in, close the door, and you're good to go. You're all set. You just format the card, and you're good to go. The other thing I like about this over the Rodecaster Pro is that the AC adapter is tiny. It doesn't t it, there's no brick to it that you then attach the adapter to. This one is literally one cable and the connector that goes to the wall outlet is really small. Whereas the Rodecaster Pro, there's a, I believe there's a brick to it and there then is. there's the plug. They, they have simplified this, so I think that's really good. And look, some of the other things, like I said, in terms of handling audio quality like compression and de-essers and things like that, they can fix those or they, they can address those in firmware. I mean, even with the Rodecaster Pro, they made improvements when they updated the firmware. So, for example, one of the problems we had that I think we've mentioned in a few podcast episodes was the amount of time it takes to export audio. We could literally back then go out to lunch for a couple hours, come back, and it was still exporting because an hour to an hour and a half episode would take something like four hours to export. I think we actually and watched then, the whole baseball game. Well, yeah, we were able to do a lot of different things when we were waiting for it to export. Part of it was that I was trying to export to my 12-inch MacBook, which didn't have as much power. You're using your 13-inch MacBook Pro, so it's faster. But also now, it used to export as a WAV file. Now they've compressed it so that it exports as an MP3. So it keeps those files a lot smaller, and it exports a lot faster. On the Podtrack P8, I know by default I think it's a WAV file, but I did see an MP3 option. So I need to, when we wrap this up, I need to go in and see what the actual options are to export this to. That's the one thing I didn't have time to test either, was actually exporting the audio track and seeing what that comes out to. I'll have to check that out. The other thing you can do on the Podcast P8, which I don't think you can do on the Rodecast Pro, is you can actually edit your podcast right on the P8. You know, I, I'm not going to do it because there are a lot of different things that I need to do when we edit our episodes because we do use multi-tracks so that we have our individual tracks there and I can edit our individual tracks accordingly. 
kind of hard to do it directly on the P8, but I know that you can edit a podcast. So if you have fairly clean audio where you don't need to do a lot of editing, you can edit your, your podcast right here and then upload it to your different platforms and you're ready to go. So that is a nice feature to have. And I guess one last item. Did you mention for Bluetooth, you have to connect a dongle for that? It's an actually... Yeah, you have to get, yeah, you have to get a, a, a special adapter. It's like $50. It's not available yet. It's available for pre-order right now. Okay. But it's the Zoom BTA2. And I think it works on other Zoom devices as well. But you have to pretty much... It's like a small little adapter that you plug into two 3.5 millimeter connectors or, or one 3.5 and some other connector. There are two spots on it, and you put it in there, and then you can have Bluetooth. And again, I think it's just something that should have been integrated into the Podtrack P8 because the cost difference between the Zoom Podtrack P8 and the Rodecaster Pro is $100. So the Rodecaster Pro is $100 more than the P8, just the base unit. So in that case, there's really no reason why they couldn't have put Bluetooth in there. So I think that would have made more sense to just incorporate everything so you don't need all these additionals. And also throw in a cable because if you want this to be a device where you can use immediately, then you should have the cable somewhere. If you're not going to include like the USB cable with the P8, then at least include it in the mic kit. But it doesn't make sense to include it in the mic kit because the mic kit is, should be just the mic, the muff, the the stand, the XLR cable, any extensions you need. So at least include a USB-A to USB-C or a USB-C to USB-C cable. They're not that expensive. Yeah, I mean, I guess also with that smaller form factor, that might have been a reason they couldn't put in the Bluetooth. But, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it could be for many, many reasons. But maybe the next gen will actually have it there. I mean, I think with first gens, there's always going to be those little bits and pieces that people are going to love or just not like as much. No, absolutely. I think because it is a first generation, I mean, even with the Rodecaster Pro, that was a first gen when we got it. Right. I mean, another difference really in terms of the buying process was that the Rodecaster Pro, because there was a longer period of time to study the information on the Rodecaster Pro, because there were more videos out on it, more reviews on it, that by the time we got it, I already knew a lot about how it functioned. With the P8, Zoom has released some videos, some third parties have released some videos, but from the time that I found out that Zoom was releasing this to the time it actually came out, there aren't a lot of videos, there aren't a lot of reviews of the actual unit in real-world use. So in this case, it was like either wait until those videos come out, which could be several months from now, or just bite the bullet and go do it. And I just got to the point where after waiting a couple of weeks when it came out, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to get it because I'm either getting this or I'm getting another Rodecaster Pro. But I don't want to keep going with like the Blue Yeti setup because I know that the more you listen to the podcast, you saw that audio wasn't sounding really good and the audio was starting to falter. And it was like, if we're going to keep doing this because during the holidays we were doing more episodes, if we're going to keep doing this, we need, one, a more efficient setup, two, quality audio. And like for me, sticking earbuds and headphones on every time we did an episode wasn't working because at the end of the episode, my ears were not very comfortable because I had headphones pressing on the earpods. The other thing like this setup that I have now is I have this little tripod stand right in front of me and I can look right into the screen on my laptop and I can see you. I'm talking to you directly, just like if we were sitting face to face on opposite sides of the table. And I have my notes on the same computer. 
before I had to have the laptop on because the laptop would have FaceTime and it would have Logic Pro running so I could record the track. Then I would have the mic to the left of me. So I have to turn my head away from the camera to talk to the mic because I couldn't, there's just no way to put it in front of me. Then I would have to have another iPad there with the notes because I didn't want the notes in front of the Logic Pro screen because I couldn't see what was being recorded. And then if I had to make any edits to the sound, there were no options to do that. Here I can just quickly adjust the knobs and see how my audio is. And I know if I have this set and tuned in right, then the audio should always be good. So, I mean, that's a good thing to just have this so streamlined so that we can record and not have to worry about constantly, is this working? Is that working? Do I have to tweak this? Oh, you know, we're recording a little longer now and my headphones and my ear pods are not comfortable. So I like this setup a lot better. We did talk about getting like, at one point in time, they do have a kit with the arm for the mic and I was going to get that, but it's like the table that I'm using might not hold that arm. And you're not actually using an arm for yours, you're actually using a mic stand, but it has that long bow that comes out, and then you can adjust it. But we've had problems with that stand too, where sometimes it, it tips, tips over. If weight's and, not balanced. You know, I was telling you before this call, I have a dedicated table for this now, just because right. it, it's gotten a bit annoying to reshuffle things on my regular, you know, my work from home table. So I was kind of half using that, as well as like a makeshift smaller table that I had, kind of like a coffee table. So I ended up buying a smaller computer like desk. Right. And that's what I'm running off of today. But also when I was setting this up, setting up the mic, I did almost tip it over because you have to make sure that the bottom piece is facing towards you and not to the side because that'll knock it over. Right. With that, I may actually look into buying the arm because this table should support that. And I think it actually might make things a little easier for me rather than having to you know, like you said, with the stand you have that long piece that's just sticking right. out. And it also makes it harder to store. So I might just change that up and see how it goes, right? I mean, we're going to be doing it like this probably for quite some more time. Yeah. And also going forward, you know, even before the pandemic, we had talked about this, about how can we get more podcasts in without having to travel and worry about work schedules and things like that. So I guess the pandemic sort of brought us to that, that concept a lot sooner than we thought we'd ever do. Or maybe right. we would have never done it had this not come up. You know, we'd probably still try to figure out schedules and things like that. But it is interesting to go back when we first talked about this that we said, hey, why don't we just buy two of these devices and we could probably do it remotely rather than having to meet up and work around schedules. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think this has really evolved for us. And it's also kind of forced us under the circumstances to adapt to the changing conditions because when we started last year we had just finished because the last episode we did together in person we did the episode about buying a home and that was the last one we did in person which was i think like early march right be right before COVID really started to kick up in the u.s right and then i think like two or three weeks later that's when the pause order went into effect but at that point in time when the pause order went into effect and we started to go into like month after month, we were saying, well, what should we do about the podcast? Should we keep going? Should we just pause? And so what we ended up doing was we didn't want to have no episodes up. So we started to do those little best of episodes from our first five or six episodes that we had already done and picking out those topics that we felt were really good to talk about. And then afterwards, once we exhausted the best of, then I just 
one day pulled out the Blue Yeti, and which I've had for like ages and never used it for the podcast before, and just said, let me just do a, a, a few solo recordings just to keep it going. But I think we got to a point, I don't even remember the reasoning behind it, but we just got to a point where we wanted to try to get it to work. And once we got it working, we just kept going. And I am glad that we were able to do that because it allowed us to go from doing an episode once a month to doing an episode every two weeks to when we got to the holidays, doing one almost every week, which was great. I mean, I can't guarantee that we'll be doing one every week because the other part of it is one thing is we could record one every week. It doesn't necessarily mean we can release one every week because we have to edit the episodes. And I'll admit, if you listen to the early episodes, I didn't do a lot of editing in those. I cleaned up a few things here and there, but I didn't do a lot of editing. And it wasn't until, I think, last year that I got a little bit more aggressive in terms of really editing the episodes to make the quality a lot better and to just clean up a lot of different things. And once you start doing that, it can take six or seven hours to get a good edit done. And you have to find that time to edit those episodes in order to release it on a fixed schedule. So just like this episode, I would love to get this episode out by Saturday. So we're recording this on, on a Sunday, get this out by Saturday. But again, it all depends on whether or not we can get that done. So that's always a challenge. But I do like the idea that now that, you know, because we were stepping up and we were getting to a point where we were doing these episodes more frequently and it was becoming something that we really wanted to do, that it was important to, one, upgrade the equipment to make sure that our setup was good, that we were getting quality audio. Because if you are serious about doing a podcast, you want it to sound good. One is content. You want the content to be something that relates to people, that people understand, and that it's important to them. But the other thing is you also want it to sound good, because if you can't hear what you're saying, then why are you going to sit there listening to an hour episode or a 30-minute episode or a 90-minute episode? You don't want to listen to it if the quality's not good. And then for us, it's just making sure it's streamlined so that we can do it because we are going to be doing it for a while longer. And doing it in person, yes, there's a difference between doing it in person and doing it remotely. But the fact is, the travel time is always hard. So this allows us the ability to, look, I'm looking at you just like, and you're looking at me, just as if we were sitting across the table from one another in person. But we're not. And we're still able to record the podcast with the same level of quality, with the same level of content that we want. So I think that's important. And that's a change we were forced to adapt, and I think it's a positive thing for us. Yep, absolutely. So I think time will tell how good the equipment works. And, you know, this is the first episode with it, so we'll see if it'll, it'll take you longer or, or quicker to essentially get the files finalized. Yeah. I mean, it was the same thing with the Rodecaster Pro. The first few episodes were a little bit of trial and error to fine-tune it. I think now, after more than a year, we have the Rodecaster Pro fine-tuned. So it's a matter of now getting the Padre P8 fine-tuned. But what is a major plus is the fact that the setup here and getting everything to work, because when we initiate the FaceTime, you could hear my audio, I could hear your audio, and we are ready to rock and roll very quickly. So it's just a matter of making sure on my end here, I fine-tune things. If there are firmware updates, hopefully those firmware updates will further improve the P8. And I'm looking forward to really be able to use this and give us an opportunity to test these two pieces of equipment side by side. To say, 
this is what I like about the Roadcaster versus the P8. This is what I like about the P8 versus the Roadcaster. And both of them are right now comparable to doing what you need to do. It's just a matter of, well, are there certain things that one does better than the others? What those are and which would be the better one for different groups of people. I think if you're just getting started and you want quick and easy, I know that the Roadcaster Pro, because of that modern, elegant design, I think that's a little bit easier. But once you adapt to it, looking at something like the P8, it doesn't take long. Now, there weren't a lot of instructions for the P8 in the box or online, but you can navigate as you just kind of play around with things. You can figure things out. It takes a little bit more work. There are more buttons to, to deal with here, but at the end of the day, you can figure it out and you can get it working. It just takes a little time. Don't do the number one mistake, which is the day you're recording your podcast for the first time, take it out of the box and start doing it. That's the worst thing to do. What you want to do is take it out of the box, do some test runs before you start recording your podcast. Always do some test runs. So I did that before today. So I did do some test runs. I ran some music through it just to see the audio come through. I did some test recordings on the SD card. I didn't do the export, so certain things I did not do, like exporting the audio. I didn't test the Zoom podcast kit. I did use the Procaster mic. But, you know, I did do a rough run-through. And I did say to you before we started recording that I was going to reach out after I got the P8 to do a rough run-through. And we just didn't have time during the holidays. There were a lot of different things. We took a little bit of a hiatus in recording. We were going to do a couple more episodes before, but I had to cancel on one. And then we just, you know, the holidays came through and New Year's came through and we didn't have time to do anything afterwards. But we're back. New year, new gear. We're rock and rolling. Speaking about that, and let's change gears a little bit. So what did you do New Year's Eve? I know that we are, we're recording this on January 10th. This will probably hopefully go up, on, you know, Saturday. So we are far past New Year's. But let's backtrack a little bit. How did you spend New Year's Eve, New Year's Day? I kept it very simple just because for Christmas I did all this cooking and all that jazz. But for New Year's Eve, kept it very simple, just relaxed, watched some TV, did a little bit of cleaning around the home, you know, to bring in the new year. You always want everything to be nice, new, clean, fresh. So that's essentially what I did New Year's Eve. I did watch the Dick Clark, Rock and Eve, you know, watch, what was it, the four hours drop. of it? Yeah. Uh, while texting friends and just saying Happy New Year when the ball dropped and things like that. I didn't stay up too late, probably maybe 30 minutes into the new year. I was ready to just to go to sleep. And then New Year's Day, you know, it was just another day to me. It wasn't wasn't really anything to do on that day. And again, didn't stress about cooking or anything like that. Kept it very basic, simple, and just, you know, relaxed for the, the new year. And, you know, called it a day. What about yourself? I did about the same thing. I mean, I was going to initially stay up for the ball drop. And then I was like watching some of the performances and things like that. And I was like, you know, it's it's this kind of the same routine every year. But because of that feel of not having the same thing of all the revelers out there, it just felt different. I, I ended up waking up like I went to sleep briefly and then woke up right before midnight. So I did catch the ball drop. And then just went back to sleep. You know, it was just kind of like a very low-key New Year's. But I think we've kind of touched on this before, where when you go from one year to the nether, it's just a continuation. 
It's not like you wake up the next morning, everything's brand new, everything's refreshed, everything is different. It's a continuation. You know, when I went to bed December 31st and I woke up January 1st, it's like... You, you felt know, the same. Yeah, exactly. Because we're still in this situation where we're still dealing with COVID, we're still dealing with the pandemic, we're still following all these different protocols to keep ourselves safe. It's not like overnight you had a snap of the fingers and everything was all good and everything was fine. So I think I kept it really low-key this year. And I think there are a lot of other things that were low-key, like Rockville Center, for example, they only kept the tree lit until January 2nd. Usually it's a little bit further out. And they just it, everything just seems like it was wrapping up a little bit more quickly than, than normal. Yeah, uh, you know, talking about that, I actually took down my decorations that weekend. And I, I mentioned this to you. It's funny that everything was all up. Everything was good. Right. But suddenly on that Saturday, things started just falling off, off <laughs> the wall. And I said, all right, well, if I'm going to have to fix this, it's only going to be for a week. So why not right. just start taking things down? So I ended up taking that weekend to just slowly take down the decorations, pack them away, put them away, and call it a day. Though, you know, to be fair, because I put them up earlier, I guess it also makes sense to take down earlier. And then, of course, you get that weird feeling. Once everything's off the yeah. walls, it's just so bare. There's exactly. nothing on the wall. Everything looks really bright because the sun coming in. It's just glaring off the walls, and, you know, that's really it. So it does feel different. It takes a little bit of time of getting used to. But, you know, overall, I'm used to it already by now. So, you know, another New Year's passed. But I, I guess on that note, did you make any New Year's resolutions? Is that something that you still do? I have never made New Year's resolutions. I have never done that. Because, you know what, if there's something you want to do, you're going to do it all year long. And I don't want just because it's the new year that I'm going to say, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, or I want to do this. It's going to be something over the course of the year. These are things that I want to get done, and I'm just going to get those things done. And if I don't get them done, I understand, because there are lots of different things that, that happen that prevent that. Because I know there are some people who they say, I'm going to make this New Year's resolution, and then all of a sudden it doesn't happen, and then it's like this whole big deal. And it's like, look, I understand there are lots of different reasons why you can't keep your resolutions. And that's why the other reason is that's why I won't make them because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's like you could say, okay, starting January 1st, 2021, I want to get in shape and I want to do this and do that. Okay, well, the gyms are closed and this is closed. And, I, and you live in an, an apartment in New York where you don't have room to have a gym and you don't want to go outside. Well, there you go. There, there's a bunch of reasons. Yes, you can do other things, but there are also other factors, other extenuating circumstances that may prevent you from achieving that. So you want to take that into consideration. The other thing is don't make January 1st the only time you want to accomplish things or do things. You know, set goals for yourself over the course of the year and work towards them so you have the time to accomplish those things. Because, you, you know, you don't want to have to set some hard date to say, starting January 1st, I'm going to do this. It's like, okay, new year, all right, over the next few months, I want to start working on these things. And just make a list for yourself and just start working and crossing those things off. It's kind of like a bucket list. These are the things that I want to get done. Well, same thing with over the course of 2021, what are some of the things that you want to get done? Put them down there and then work your way through them. If you don't get them all done, that's fine. Try to get one done. If you have 20 things, try to get at least one done. That's all you have to do. Don't, you know, because some people set up really lofty 
resolutions where it's just something that they're not going to be able to accomplish. I want to lose 50 pounds, you know, starting January 1st. And it's like, you know, don't, don't do something that is generally unattainable based on how you operate. Start small and build up. You know, it's like when you run a marathon, you don't run 26 miles on day one. Run a mile, run two miles, and slowly build up until you get there. So it's the same thing with, you know, why I really don't see New Year's resolutions as something that I want to do. It's just, you know, set, some, set up objectives and goals that you want to accomplish over the year and work your way towards them. And if you don't get them, or because the other thing is that the, your goals and objectives may change, too for a variety of different reasons. So stop worrying about that stuff and just make a list if you want to of things that you want to accomplish and just work towards them. That's it. Because if you don't get anything accomplished and it's because you don't do anything to accomplish it, well, then you could have made a resolution. You still didn't, aren't going to accomplish it. So you have to, you do have to motivate yourself to accomplish things, but just create a list and over the course of the year, work towards it. Yep, absolutely. That's exactly what I do, right? It's just a things to do list or things not to do list. And that's really, it. like you said, cross them off, plan it over the year. I tend to look at things in quarters. I guess, you know, when you work in the corporate world for so long, you start thinking like that in your personal life, which does make sense too, right? You want to be able to break down your year and probably accomplish a few things in each quarter of that year. Um, things that you wanted to do and just, you know, get done overall. Yeah, it's just really planning and setting, again, just don't set goals and objectives that are just too far-fetched that you can't accomplish. You have to build up to them. Going back to that marathon or example, you don't run 26 miles the very first time you decide that you're going to run a marathon. You build up slowly to get to that. And yeah, that's you the know, way we look at that. Yep. Um, you know, an interesting conversation I had with one of my friends who I talked to a lot over the phone. And we were talking about in the new year and, you know, she, she's more old school, so she likes to have an appointment book. Right. You know, you remember those physical books, like a, it's like a diary and yeah. uh, you could put in your calendar appointments by you know, pen and paper. Mm -hmm. So in your perspective, do you still do something like that or is everything for you now on the computer through scheduling through Outlook, putting things digitally versus on paper? Yeah, it's primarily in Outlook now and it's digital, I used to keep one of those planners, those weekly planners, and everything that I put in Outlook, I would also put in the planner so that I have the backup. But the reality is I don't look at that planner as often as I look in Outlook. So I can just go in there and see the calendar. I mean, I also don't have that many things in my calendar to worry about that often. I have a few major, you know, back pre-pandemic, you have trips that you're going on, you have different appointments, so you put certain things in there. But I never really had a ton of things. So it wasn't like a crazy schedule. Most of the things, you know, I also knew what I was doing. And from a planning perspective, any of the big things, I would have a very limited collection of big things that I had to do. Everything else were usually small things and it would be on a week to week basis. But yeah, I used to have a planner. I used to use it. But it just got to a point where you just don't have enough. I mean, I think if you have a lot going on, you don't want to rely solely on digital because if something happens, like if you use Outlook and it's tied to a cloud-based system that goes down and you can't get your calendar, well, you're screwed. So you need to have a backup. You need to have it on paper. 
And I get why you would still do it that way. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, when we were talking about that, then we started Googling. So I went to staples.com to see, like, how much do they charge for these right. now? And it's funny that they're actually either the same price or more expensive now because yeah. it's still a big thing, right? But they have fancy ones where the, the front, you know, made of a better plastic, the papers, then you have the ones that you can remove, the individual sheets and everything yeah. like that. So it's very funny how all of that still exists today. And from a pricing standpoint, it's not like it's got cheaper because less people use it now, but they still see that there is, you know, there are people still using it. Yeah, there's it. still a market for it. Absolutely. Yep. People so still, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, people still, there are some people who feel more comfortable having it in a planner so that every morning they open up their planner and they can see the schedule versus, and look, I agree. Sometimes it's just easier to have pen and pencil and a planner and write things down there and have your notes there versus on the, like Outlook is fixed. I can't scribble notes wherever I want. It's fixed in that window. And then with Outlook, when you look at the calendar, if you have a lot of items and a lot of things going on that day and you look in calendar view, you can't see all those. All you see is a little arrow and you have to click on that in order to see your whole, whole planner. So it's not as good as I open up my planner for the week and I see the whole schedule out there or those people who had those big calendars on their desks and they just write on their desk on those calendars, the notes, because it's just easier to be able to see something in an instance. Look at hospitals. Quite often, they have the big marker boards where they show you which doctor is on call, who's doing the rounds, which nurses, whatever. That's perfect because you have a marker board. You just write quickly write it down there. Everyone can see the schedule. You don't have to worry about, let me go into my, I have to turn on my computer and open up Outlook and open up this and check the calendar and see the schedule and see who's doing this. It's right there in front of you. And if you need to change it, quickly erase it, write it in there, and you're good to go. So there are plenty of advantages. It's like using a Rolodex for your address book. I still, that I still use. I still have a Rolodex where I have names and contacts and whatnot, and I just flip through them real easily. During the holidays when I send out my Christmas cards, that's what I do. I just go through the Rolodex and I have everything there. I don't go and let me, let me go into a digital address book and try to pull this information up and whatever. I don't need my computer to do that. I just pull out the Rolodex, go down the list, and okay, I'm ready. I'm, I'm good to go. So that's the advantage. You don't need to worry about it. Same with the phone. I don't always, yeah, I mean, I go and I'll go into the calendar and say, okay, let me see, what do I have going on today on the digital calendar? Sure. That's great and convenient when you're out and about. But just sometimes if you need to see that broad view of looking at the calendar, I don't want to have to swipe and then go into the individual dates. Just open up the planner. And right there I can see everything that's going on. So there is an advantage to doing things the old-fashioned way. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, adding to that same conversation, we I had asked, well, do you write everything in pen or in pencil? And she's like, oh, no, I use a lead pencil. And then that took me back to the days of lead pencil. I was like, wow, those things are still around and yeah. everything else like that. So, again, you know, th- th- this is how much we, we just, like, just talk about random stuff. I went onto Staples and I said, I yeah. wonder if they still sell that lead. And she's like, oh, you mean that Pentel? You know, the company <laughs> Pentel. Yeah. And it took me back, if you remember this, Back in the days when we were messing with lead pencils and Pentel had, you know, the little casing. The, was mm-hmm. it the blue ones were the 0.7, the black one was the 0.5? Yep. They're still sold exactly, exactly like that. Exactly the same. They, if you they go exactly to Staples and you look that up, they're like, uh, you know, two bucks now, buck fifty. But if you remember back in our days, was it Woolworth? We were yeah. down at Seaport mm-hmm. and we would go there hoping that they would have a sale 
what yeah, was it one dollar sales, sales yeah, or something yeah. right but otherwise it would be like three dollars or something where we couldn't get our parents to buy it but once it was one dollar you would grab a whole bunch of them and just buy it but it's just so funny that 20 something years later they haven't changed it those little no, bottles are still the same yeah so it's pretty incredible that you know we were just talking about that and they happen to still have that and then we went to like the 0.9 lead and all that and you know clearly we have no life because that's what we were talking about but it was just pretty funny that when you look back at all this stuff it's all the same nothing's changed yeah. this I will still tell all you exists what irks me about lead pencils is you have different classes of good lead pencils like you have the right. disposable lead pencils which yes. look like a yellow pencil once you use up the lead you can't refill them and you throw them away and then you have some of the lead pencils where there's a nice little middle tip so that when you start writing with it your lead doesn't snap so it's precision yep so when you buy lead pencils you have to like look for okay which lead pencil has the best grip which lead pencil has the best tip which one has a good eraser you look at all these different, you would think that, you know, why, why do you need something so fancy? Because when you use it, how it performs is such a difference. Because it I've matters. gotten some where, without the metal tip, and the moment you put it on the sheet of paper, snap, the lead breaks. And then you push the button, get another piece, put it on the paper, snap. Then you get the one with the little metal tip. So, oh, look at the precision. It comes out nice. And then you have some that, okay, the grip is not great. It feels really cheap. And then the top breaks off. Or every time you push the button, like three inches of lead come out instead of like a little little bit at a time. Was that also a Pentel one? The, the one that was like a blue one? I think that was the best one. It was like a blue one. It had little ridges towards the bottom. Yeah. They, I think I actually still yeah, have I, that. I had actually had to buy, I think last year or the year before, I had to buy a couple of new lead pencils because all the other ones I had were broken. And so I literally was standing at Staples and I was looking at all the different ones and how they're designed to say, which one is going to be the most comfortable one to use? And I think I bought one where the cylinder was too thick. So when you're holding, it's like, this feel, doesn't feel comfortable at all. So then I had to find another one that was much better. The one I have now, I don't know what brand it is, but that one's like the most comfortable one I have. But it's not like the old ones that I used to have were like so much better. There were also, there was one brand, I think it was Bic, that had... It was like a dozen pencils for like, you know, a few dollars. Sure. And those were pretty comfortable to use as well. So they came in the, the bulk pack. Each pencil is like a different color. And that was like a quality pencil. But it's, like, it's so weird that literally every pencil and even pens are the same thing. Like a lot of times I'll use the gel pens now. So I'll use the, the gel pens, which are nice. But the problem is when you have to sign the back of like a credit card or a debit card, don't use a gel pen. Because that ink won't dry fast enough and it'll smudge. You have yep, to use exactly. a traditional ballpoint pen. But when you use a ballpoint a pen, a blob. you have to use a good ballpoint pen because if you get right. one that you start writing within, then the ink stops. Then it's no good. So that's right. annoying. Yeah, I think you too. can't use fine. You can't use a fine tip either on credit cards. No, you can't. You don't it want to use work a fine out tip or because just, you or can't you get those letters that, yeah. on top of it. Right. Yeah, exactly, you need to yeah. get a medium point pen. Yeah, I remember those work my. The best. One of my, there were two pens that were my favorite back then. One was the Uniball pens, and right. one was the Roller, the Bic pens. But over time, I saw what the problem was, is sometimes the ink would just kind of keep flowing on different types of paper, and then you get a blob. So that didn't always work. So it, it changes over time. Also, some of those pens where you remove the cap and you put the cap on the back of the pen, when you're writing, 
it throws the weight of the pen off. So no matter how you write, all your writing is always kind of skewed because the weight of the pen's too heavy. But if you don't have the cap on there, the weight of the pen's too light. So it doesn't feel right either. I mean, yep. it might just be me, but no, no, I'm very I, I have the about same, the same the thing where I want to be able to write no matter how I'm writing. You know, you know how yeah. sometimes what was it when you go to uh, court for jury duty and you have yeah. to write stuff on the paper, but mm-hmm. you have nowhere to write on. Right. So you want to write, you know, put the paper against the wall, but then it can't write because you're doing that. So it does bother me too. I think I had something, this was years ago, I bought this thing that was called the space pen. Right. And this pen could work no matter what you did, no matter what situation you were. And it actually did work. Yeah. But I ended up running out of the ink for it. I just didn't want to buy the, the new cartridge for it because it was kind of expensive at the time. But I think I still have it somewhere where now that we talk about it, oh, I you should have told me because back. when we were at Kennedy Space Center, I saw the space <laughs> and I would have bought you, bought you the Actually, space Actually, I pen. think that may have been where I got it. I think I was on a vacation and I saw it. And I was like, oh, this sounds pretty cool. And then my friends were like, that's a gimmick. You're buying it, but it's a gimmick. Then when I actually took it home and started using it, I was like, no, it really works. And, yeah, it works know, in all the different positions. Like, because most pens, if you don't hold it in the proper position, it, it stops writing. It doesn't work well. Yep. But yeah, I mean, when you think back of like your, your college days, for example, like for us, you were still writing. You know, Nowadays, I don't know if people bring notebooks and their handwriting notes or everything's on the laptop. But for me, it was always writing notes, pen and paper. And so you don't want a pen that, you know, like a very basic ballpoint pen where the ink just, you're writing and it takes so much effort to try to write on a sheet of paper. So you've got the professor who's talking, and you're trying to catch up on writing the notes and you can't because your pen just won't move. You can't get the ink. Whereas like a gel pen, it just keeps going. It flows. Except if you have a bad gel pen... Like, you just have a blob of ink. I also want to, you know, just talk about college real briefly. I remember people used to say, back in the day when I was going to school, it was a big deal of, like, bringing microcassette recorders to, like, record the lectures because they would say, oh, professors don't write notes on the board and whatever. You have to listen to the notes, so you need to have a recorder. And in my four years, there was never a time where the professor didn't write notes or hand out a sheet of paper or literally say, okay, what I'm about to tell you is important for like an exam or whatever. So take notes and they'll write it on the board and they'll repeat it like three, four times so you could write it down. Never had the need to have to record a lecture at all. I wonder by the time, you know, you got to college, if professors had changed the way that they essentially teach. I know when our sisters had to go, they they recorded, right? So I wonder in between those years, if the professors just changed the way that they taught it may because have been, of recording and everything like that. Yeah, it may have been a difference between who the professors were, what the courses were, what the schools were, all those different things. And yeah, I mean, there could be some professors who do that, where they literally just go nonstop. But I know that as far as I know, every course that I took, every professor that I had, literally wrote on the board, gave out handouts, and they would constantly repeat if I repeat something three or four times, that's an important thing. And right. I remember I had a couple of professors who did that. If I repeat something multiple times, that's an important note to take down. Make sure you write it because it would show up. And it's kind of like yeah, a I'm, hint that, yes, yeah. these are important things. Exactly. I mean, I had professors who wrote on the board and they said, before I go on and erase this because I need more space, 
does anyone need more time to copy the notes? And then, you know, you would have a couple people, so they give a few more minutes, and then he would just say, all right, well, just ask the person next to you because now I have to move on. Right. Or they have a separate easel with a, a paper board or something like that. So I had the same experience as you. I never had to record a single class. I either took the notes, they gave notes, they used Blackboard, or they were reading from the book and you were just highlighting the pieces. And again, they right. would say, the reason I'm mentioning this is because you should be highlighting it in your book. Exactly. And I mean, by the time I was in college, everything was marker boards. So, and it wasn't like one panel marker board. There were multiple panels. So you right. could literally yep. write from one side to the other before you had to start racing. So there was plenty of room to do that. I mean, the biggest problem was constantly the professors would walk in there and there would be no markers, no dry erase markers in the classroom. You know, it's like, right. well, how is that possible? Because I remember there was one class that we had to attend where every class students would be called up to the board to write stuff. And I remember having to go to Staples one time and buying my own dry erase markers. I shouldn't have to do that for a class, but I had to because that class, for whatever reason, there was always no dry erase markers. And we didn't want to end up, you know, our group going up there and then just being in, in an embarrassing situation where we couldn't do what we were supposed to do because there were no markers. So I remember just going over to Staples and buying a pack of dry erase markers, like 3 or $4, so that our group had the markers to use when we had to go up there. Yeah, yeah I mean, by my time, silly. yeah, by my time, the professors just started bringing it right, on their own. Their own. Yeah. I think they just gave up on leaving markers there. So professors were, they just brought their own. If it was a math class and it was the chalkboard, they would bring their own chalk, color chalk, whatever. And, you know, they'd have enough for the number of people, like you said, to have to go up to the board because you should not have to bring your own markers or chalk just to write right. something because the, the professor is the one who wants you to go up in front and do something. So it, things did change over time. Yeah, and I would also say, just building on that, that I had a very unique way of studying for exams too because I had two marker boards that I would use to write notes and practice before an exam. So I didn't just like open up a book and read and study from textbooks and notes. I would literally write those notes as if I was like teaching a class. So it was in essence, I had two marker boards set up and I would write those notes, whatever... I was studying for. I would write those notes as if I was teaching a class, that same material for an exam. And that's how I would study. I didn't do the more traditional, just sitting in front, studying up on your notes and studying up on the textbook. Yeah, I think I learned that from you. I think I ended up doing the same thing where you're, you're literally, if you could lecture it, then I felt that you could learn it. Exactly. Right? If, like you said, if you're reading in a book and I never really read silently. I would read it out loud. And you remember this when mm -hmm. we were all home. I would just close the door to the room and just read it out loud. I think that actually helped me with a lot of books that I was reading too, like reading the Shakespearean books and things like right. that, where when you read it and you act it out, you tend to remember it a little better exactly. than just, oh, let me just read this book as it is. Great. You're not going to remember much though. And again, not everyone's like that, but at least for me, I'm more that visual audio type person where I felt if I read it or I acted out the part when the questions came during the exam, I remember it just because I remember, oh yeah, this I acted this piece out like this and that's why I remembered it. So yeah. definitely that was one way, at least for me. And again, you know, I learned it from you, the whole teaching method, mm -hmm. which did work out much better than how I did it in previous years, you know, in high school, junior high school, where just reading it silently just doesn't do as much. Yeah, it didn't do as much for me until I started doing that. Yeah, it, it was very much a different approach to doing it. I'm sure other people do it as well, but I found that to be the best way 
because any class in which I did that, it was fine. It literally, you go sit down and take the exam and, you know, I had the material down. There was one time I had a statistics class that I had to take. And I think the final exam was open book plus you could have a note sheet. And I didn't bother. My methodology was I don't need the open book. I don't need the note sheet. I prepared it. I had everything with me, but I just took the exam without it. Because the idea is that the amount of time it takes for you to search for the information on the book, because the, when people hear open book, they're just thinking, I don't need to study. I can just search they're the like, book this for is it. easy. Yeah. And that was the problem, because when we took that final exam, I was done with plenty of time to spare, and I saw people searching the books for the answers and searching their note sheets. And I was like, I don't need to use this. I'll have it prepared in case there's one piece of information I suddenly black out on, and I can't remember yep. it. But if you study up and you're prepared for it, then you don't need any of that stuff. That's a backup, but you don't need it. And then you can just kind of go through that process. And I did have one professor who said, I'm making this an open book exam because here's the thing. Even if you have the book there, if you don't know ma the material, you're going to take so much time to search to find the answers that you're going to run out of time. It's an hour long exam and you're going to spend 45 minutes just searching for the answers and you won't be able to finish the exam. And so my thinking was, make sure you have the information up in your brain. And if you have the information there, then just work off of that. If you get stuck and you need to find one piece of information, that's one thing. But if you have to spend the entire time, the length of the exam, searching for the answers, you're not going to get it done. Absolutely. I agree. That's also what I did. I mean, when they said open book, I still studied for the exam. Um, and like you said, you, know, you still create that, you know, the allow cheat sheet and everything else like that. Just in case there is that one or two things you forget. And there were times where I forgot it, but... I just skipped that question, finished everything else that I knew, then go back to it because now I know how much time I have left to go back to that, look for it, and then complete it because you don't want to get stuck on that one question because, hey, you might get it wrong anyway, right? So the, the key is to get the ones that you know and then go back to the ones you don't know so you can spend time on that. Exactly. And, you know, I, I know that we said we were going to make this a shorter podcast today. And I look at the time and I yeah. say, oh, wait, so much for that. That went out the window. But I think everything just flowed and it just comes with, with the territory. Was there anything else that you wanted to, to chat on today? No, I think we really covered it. I wanted this brand new New Year's episode to just be right. a reflection of New Year and talk a little bit about the P8 and why we're stepping up the gear and what our process is. I think... We are going to go back to a few episodes where I had done a few solo episodes about certain topics that during those episodes I had said that, you know, if Ron was here, you know, he'd be able to chime in. So I think we're going to go back sometime this year. We're going to be doing some episodes where we kind of revisit those solo episodes that I did, those topics specifically, and then have an opportunity to hear and get your input on those. One of those things will be the origins of the podcast. We've talked about this early on. I talked a little bit about it in an episode, in a short episode, but I think we really want to go back to the beginning, go back to what started this process, especially now that we are up to, I think this will be episode 34, that we've gone from episode one at the very beginning, the early days, to now progressing into almost reaching three dozen episodes and just taking a look back at how this all began how did we feel back then and how do we feel now in terms of how we've progressed and how this podcast has progressed? So I think that will be a, one of the episodes that we'll do in the future. Another one, we've both done this before. We've built our own PCs over the years. I haven't built one in ages. I don't even have mines anymore, but you still have one. 
I and do. you probably, I don't know if you've upgraded it at all over the last couple of years, but we want to revisit that as well as to what was our thinking back then in terms of building it, what got us started, and why did we stop, and what would make us go back to, to building something again. So I think that would be another great episode to revisit. So I think that those are at least two of the topics that we want to head back to and look at going forward. And I think definitely another episode will be a real comparison of Rode versus Zoom as we do more recordings to say, this works, that doesn't work, this is good, that's not so good, and go from there. You know, I'm going to be trying different things when we do recordings. Like I said, maybe one day I'm going to record with batteries. Hopefully the batteries don't run out and we have a terrible recording. Did they give a battery life estimate when running from battery? I'm, I, I think they did. I have to go back and see what the estimate is. But I think okay. it also gives you kind of like a warning light when the batteries are running low. Okay. I mean, I mean, you'd think it should at least work for a couple hours. I would, yeah. I would think at minimal it should work for two hours. Yeah, I think the in, challenge in is opinion. it depends on how many people, like how many inputs you're using. Because if you have like four mics versus one mic, it's going right. to drain more power. So I think it, that will depend. I haven't even tried it at all, so I'm going to throw in a pack of batteries at some point to just make sure it lights up the board and everything works. I mean, I'm less inclined to use batteries unless absolutely necessary because here's the thing. Like, this episode is running over an hour. I don't know what it will be once I finish editing it. It might be shorter. But I don't want us to go through an hour and then find out after running on batteries that, oh, the audio was choppy because there wasn't enough power to keep everything going. Right, so exactly. that requires a little bit of testing. It's like moderate testing to make sure everything works the way it's supposed to. I mean, like I said, this is our first actual recording using this equipment. I know your track should be fine. It's going to be a matter of how my track is. I mean, one of the things that we saw with Rode early on was they used to have all the tracks. Like After, I think, like 30 minutes, it would create a new file, and I would have to manually merge those files, and then eventually... I think through a firmware upgrade, or I think it was a setting, there was a way to get the whole file for the whole recording merged automatically so you wouldn't have to piece it together. Because that was so annoying, having to parse together, like when we were doing 90-minute episodes, three separate files for each of our audio tracks to get it to work right. It never parsed well. So I'm hoping on the PA, because I don't remember how they handle it, I hope that it will come over as, as a single file. But I believe also the PA is set up automatically to do multi-track. The Rodecaster Pro, you have to turn that on to do the multi-track, but we've had that set, so it's not going to be a problem. Look, this will be an experiment. This will be a learning experience. I mean, I could have easily gone and gotten a second Rodecaster Pro, but I wanted to give Zoom that benefit of the doubt because this looked like a really good piece of equipment to use. The quality sounds pretty good outside of, like I said, when you're talking, you kind of hear your tongue moving around. So I hope that if I can filter that with the other software, that'll be fine. I hope that if this is something that the Zoom unit picks up, that in a firmware update, they will enhance it so that it records audio and filters out those extraneous sounds better. But we'll see. This is our first recording, and hopefully this works out well. And if not, we'll fine-tune it. We'll get it working. Sounds good. I mean, here's to a better year. Here's to a better year. On that note, thank you for listening to the David and Ron Show podcast. You can find us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye.